Thank you, Dan. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 27 and 28. I want to begin with a question this morning. Do you have a fear of falling? I'm not talking about the fear of tripping over something as you walk in the dark or the fear of heights. Some of you may have that. I'm not talking about a present fear that comes after a previous fall or the fear legitimately that many older people have who are more prone to falls. These are real fears and some people experience them regularly. Wikipedia calls it bossophobia. Bossophobia. I'm talking about a different fear of falling this morning. The fear of falling away from God. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul speaks of the Israelites falling in the wilderness. And then he says this, Now these things, the things that happened to Israel, took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. He goes on and says, These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The author of Hebrews says something very similar in speaking of the wilderness generation who fell in the wilderness in chapters 3-4. to He issues a warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. His message seems to be take care to not fall away for it is A fearful thing, as he goes on to say in chapter 10. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. These are warnings. But the goal of warning in the Bible is not to make you feel paranoid. In fact, I believe the goal is to give believers confidence and assurance but one of the ways the bible gives believers confidence and assurance and keeps them pressing on in the faith is through warning warnings that teach us how to avoid fear actually israel's history of apostasy is instructive for the church today. It teaches us how to keep from falling so that we don't have to fear God's judgment. And I think that's the main reason 1 Samuel 28 is in our Bibles. Saul is a tragic figure. We've had a clue that he would eventually fall ever since Hannah's prayer back in 1 Samuel 2. Remember what she said. The Lord brings down to Sheol and raises up 
The Lord brings low, and the Lord exalts. We've been watching Saul fall for over ten chapters. And when he finally dies, what will David say about him? Oh, how the mighty have fallen. His fall should get our attention. It would be easy to dismiss him as an extreme case, as someone whose life is so far gone that it doesn't apply to us, but the New Testament authors see in men like Saul a lesson for people like you and me. We should take heed lest we fall. We should take care lest we fall away. So what can we learn from Saul that will keep us from falling? How will the warning from his life help us? Well, before we talk about Saul, I do need to say a word about David. Saul's story is told in chapter 28, which is where we will spend our time. David's in chapter 27. I've made a tough decision to not preach on chapter 27, but I want to briefly summarize it to you and show you how it sets up chapter 28. In chapter 27, David goes into exile among the Philistines. He was afraid that he would perish by the hand of Saul, verse 1. So he goes to Achish, the king of Gath. It's remarkable. He talks Achish, the king of Gath, into giving him, and not only him, the 600 soldiers who are with him, and presumably their families, some scholars say up to 2,000 people, he gives them a city, the city of Ziklag, to live in. It reminds me of Pharaoh giving the Israelites the land of Goshen when they were in exile. David is not honest with Achish, however. He makes Achish believe that he's on his side. And one way he does this is that every day, David goes out and makes raids on Gentile tribes, but he leads Achish to believe that he's gone and made raids against Israel. So Achish trusts David so much that when Achish decides that he himself is going to attack Israel, he asks David to go with him. David's tricks have caught up with him. We see this in the first two verses of chapter 28. The suspense is high. What will David do? He's already repeatedly we saw this last week, made a pledge that he will not stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed, against Saul. So will he go back on this word and enter in with Achish into battle against Israel and Saul? Or will he come clean with Achish? If he goes to war, that will put him in a tough spot. I mean, just think of it. He knows he's about to take the throne at some point in the future. I don't think it would be a very good political move to have your first thing that you do before you take the throne is to go to war against the country that you are going to reign over. But if he comes clean with Achish, 
he will surely be killed. The suspense is high. In chapter 28, verse 2, and at this point in this episode, the TV goes blank for a minute. Then the announcer comes on the screen and says, we interrupt this program for a special announcement. And the rest of chapter 28, this whole narrative is put on hold and will not resume until chapter 29. Why does the author of 1 Samuel do this? As we'll see when we return, it's not even in chronological order. He interrupts the flow of this very suspenseful narrative. Why? To what end? I believe it is to show us just how important chapter 28 is. It was written for our instruction. Even though the suspense in the David episode is high, it's not as important for us as what's about to take place. Or even though the danger that David is in is great, the danger that Saul is in is even greater. So the author gives us a cliffhanger. And friends, you're going to feel this cliffhanger because we won't return to the story of David until February of next year. Today we're going to focus on chapter 28 and Saul. And to keep with our TV analogy, to set up Saul's story, the author does what many TV programs do. In verse 3, he begins saying, previously on this program, by reminding us that Saul had died and that he had been buried in Ramah, and that Saul had put the mediums and necromancers out of the land. Now the stage is set for one of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible. A chapter that was written for our instruction. To teach us, through warning, how to avoid the fear of falling. As I read this chapter, I want you to notice the key words that I'll organize my sermon around. The words fear, afraid, tremble, and distress. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll begin reading in verse 4. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. 
The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him. For he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. A dark word written for our instruction. As I go throughout this sermon, I want you to remember where we began at every point. This was written so that we might take care lest we fall. And this is God's grace to us. Warning is a way that He preserves His people. Take care. 
to not fall away from the living God because it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What does Saul teach us about falling away? Three things, quite simply, all related to this key word of fear. The first thing that we learn about those who fall away from God is this. They can't hear God because they do not fear God. This comes out in verses 4 to 6. They can't hear God because they don't fear God. But it's not the fear of God that is before our eyes in verses 4 and 6, at least not on the surface. We have to read the context to get there. In verse 4, we read that the Philistines are assembled for battle, and when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, verse 5, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Saul sees the army, and he's afraid. But he has another problem that we read of in verse 6. It's not only the sight of the army, it's the fact that he can't hear God. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So he fears man, the Philistines, and he can't hear God. The two are connected, and I want you to see the connection and the logic of the fall of Saul throughout the book of 1 Samuel. You see, the fear of man has been Saul's problem since the very beginning. And because he fears man, he doesn't fear God. And because he doesn't fear God, he will not obey the voice of God. And because he doesn't obey the voice of God, he can no longer hear the voice of God. That's the progression. Fears man, not God. Because he doesn't fear God, he doesn't listen to God's voice. Because he doesn't listen to God's voice, he can no longer hear God's voice. This progression began in chapter 12 at Saul's coronation, where Samuel spoke to Saul and all of the people of Israel and said to them, you will have no reason to fear anyone or anything, so long as you fear the Lord and obey His voice. That's the promise. But then he goes on in chapter 12 to give a warning. He says, if they and their king didn't obey the voice of the Lord, but rebelled against His commandment, then the hand of the Lord would be against them and their king. If they did wickedly, they would perish, both them and their king. Everything was laid out clearly. What was expected was clear. There was no hidden agenda. It was all in broad daylight. If they would fear the Lord and obey His voice, if Saul would fear the Lord and obey His voice, things would go well. But if he didn't, things would go poorly. And when Saul was given a clear command from the voice of God, what did he do? 
he disobeyed it. We saw that in chapter 13. But in chapter 15, it is emphatic. God called Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, but he spared the best of their flocks and he spared their king, Agag. Samuel comes to him and says, you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Saul says, oh no, no, I did. But he finally comes to see that he didn't and that he had sinned. And notice the way that he describes what happened. He says this, I sinned for I transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Why? Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Do you see? The fear of man leads Saul to disobey God's voice. And disobeying God's voice is clear evidence that you don't fear God. He rejected God. And so God rejected him from being king over Israel. And this rejection led to a chain of events. It didn't all happen in a moment. It led to a chain of events that cut Saul off from hearing the voice of the Lord. First, Samuel left because Saul wouldn't listen to him. I want you to get, I want you to get the repeated thing here. Samuel left because Saul wouldn't listen to him. So God could no longer speak through the prophets, could He? The Spirit also left Saul. We're told in chapter 16, maybe that's why the Lord no longer speaks to him through dreams. But there is more. The priests also left Saul, in a sense. So he no longer has access to the Urim and Thummim from the priest Ephod. He can no longer go to the priest to inquire of the Lord for him. And this too is because he fears man. Why do I say that? We're told twice in 1 Samuel 18 that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. And this fear of David leads Saul to do all kinds of horrendous things. One of those emphatically horrible things was that he put to death all of the priests of Nam. 85 priests, we are told, who wore the linen ephod. All but one, that is. Abithar, who escaped and went to David. And when he gets to David, we are told that he had the ephod in his hand. David has the ability to inquire of the Lord, but not Saul. But this was all his own doing. He had made his own bed. He fears man. He doesn't fear God. And so he doesn't heed God's voice. Is there any wonder then why he can't hear God's voice? I hope you're listening. Verse 3 who has so much access to the Word of God. 
when God speaks over and over again, but we won't listen, and that lack of listening is proven by a lack of faith and obedience, we need to be warned. He may stop speaking someday. And on that day, it will be too late. It was for Saul. Take heed, lest you fall. Take care, brothers. Take care, sisters. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. As the Israelites did in the wilderness as Saul did in 1 Samuel. Those who fall away from God don't hear God because they do not fear God. The second lesson is that they do not fear the consequences of deliberately disobeying God. This is a more specific point to the more general first point that was made they don't fear God they don't fear the consequences of deliberately disobeying God this comes out in verses 7 to 14 so Saul has slaughtered the priests who wear the ephod so he can't inquire of the Lord so what does he do he decides to inquire of a medium look at verse 7 Saul said to his servant, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. A medium is like a fortune teller. But in this context, specifically, someone who claims to be able to talk to the dead. Saul is in desperate times. The Philistines are up against him. He can't hear from God anymore. And so he takes desperate measures. But what I want you to see this morning in all of the craziness of this chapter, the most basic point is his desperate measures are simply deliberate disobedience to God's express written word. And he knows it. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12, it says this, There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. Whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. God's word was clear. There are so many things on which God's Word is crystal clear. We don't need to seek counsel. A second opinion. It's crystal clear. And the consequences for being a medium or engaging a medium were also crystal clear in Leviticus 20. Verse 6, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, 
I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Leviticus 20.27 says, A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. You catching a pattern? God doesn't leave us without a word. He lays out His expectations very clearly in advance. Saul knew the law. Otherwise, he wouldn't have previously in his career put out of the land all of the mediums and the necromancers. And if he knows the law, he knows the consequences of breaking the law that the Lord will set His face against a person who turns to mediums. But apparently, Saul doesn't fear the Lord and specifically, he doesn't fear the consequences of transgressing God's Word. He goes to the woman and asks her to divine a spirit and bring up someone from the dead. The woman is afraid for she knows what is supposed to happen to people who do such things. She reminds Saul of what he already knew. Those who practice divination are cut off from the land. I think we are meant to see that in a weird way, this woman is reminding Saul of God's Word. But he won't heed the warning. So even though she's afraid of the consequences... Saul's not afraid of the consequences. In verse 10, he swears by the Lord that no punishment will come upon her. Even though God's Word is clear. Then in verse 13, he tells her she shouldn't be afraid. Saul sounds a lot like Satan. Telling Eve that if she eats of the fruit, she will not surely die. Denying the judgment of God, denying the consequences of sin is satanic. But Saul doesn't fear the consequences. And so he speaks satanic words, if I can put it that way. Denying judgment is the first deception of the enemy. And guess who is speaking satanic words in this passage? It's not the witch. It's the king of Israel. Friends, are you living in deliberate sin? Under some delusion that you will not face the consequences of continuing in that deliberate sin. If that's where you find yourself today, making light of your ongoing deliberate sin, you need to know that you are listening to lies, not to God's Word. And so may this passage be a gracious Warning to you today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts.
Take heed. Take care. Repent. Return to Jesus and follow Him faithfully. What happens next in this story is crazy. Samuel actually emerges from the pit in this woman's house. And you are all, I'm sure, wondering what I'm going to say about that. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. But what I am sure is I don't want you to miss the main point. The main point is that those who fall away from God don't fear the consequences of expressly breaking God's commandments. And Saul, whatever else is happening, we are very clear that that is happening here. Saul is doing that by seeking a medium. But I do need to say something about what I think is going on here. I think by and large, mediums are frauds. They don't actually talk to the dead. They don't divine the dead. I think that's why this woman is scared out of her skull when she sees Samuel come up because in all of her time doing this work, it's never happened. But even though I don't believe that mediums actually talk with the dead... I do believe that when they engage in their pagan practices, there is demonic activity behind it. In the same way that when food that is offered to idols is offered to something that is not real, yet at the same time, when that happens, the demonic is going on. And so let me just say very clearly, I don't know how many people this would apply to, but we should avoid all forms of astrology, including looking at horoscopes. We should certainly not seek out after fortune tellers or mess around with things that we think are really, they're not real, like Ouija boards or things like that. They may not be real, and yet the devil is at work in them. Stay away from them. But when Samuel comes up from the pit, I do not believe it is a result of this woman's magic arts. I think that this is God working in spite of the evil that is working in this house. God is doing something here, maybe like what He did on the Mount Transfiguration where Elijah and Moses come to Jesus. To speak a final word to Saul. He wants direction. He will get none. He wants comfort. He will get none. And this leads us to the third lesson we learn from Saul about falling away from the living God. Friends, those who fall away from God need to know something very important. I've already said it. But if you fall away from God, this is kind of weird theologically, but it's true. If you fall away from God, you fall into God's hands. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Much more fearful to fall into the hands of David or to fall into the hands of the Philistines 
is the terror of falling into the hands of the living God, into His judgment. We see this in verses 15 to 25. Samuel asked Saul why he's disturbed him and brought him up. Saul tells him what we already know. He's afraid because the Philistines are against him and God won't answer him. And Samuel addresses each of these concerns in turn. He begins with Saul's fear of the Philistines. He tells him he has a much bigger problem on his hands. Look at verse 16. Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Philistines should be the least of Saul's concerns. He should fear God now because God is his enemy. This is the most hopeless misery of all. Saul's been seeking a way of escape. Saul's been seeking after David. Saul's seeking for direction. He's not seeking God. His biggest problem is God is his enemy. He should fear God. Samuel goes on to tell Saul why God won't listen to him. And again, we already know the answer, but he reiterates it. When you don't listen to the voice of God through the Word of God, God will one day stop speaking. This is so important for us, first free. We handle holy things really regularly. And it's so easy to take them for granted and to not take heed. Samuel goes on to say, the Lord is simply doing to you what He already said would happen to you. The kingdom's being torn from your hand and given to David, and it's because you didn't obey the voice of the Lord. He has to hear the same sermon again because he apparently didn't get it the first time. But there's one bit of new information in verse 19. He says, moreover... So I've already told you what you already knew. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. So it's not just Saul's life that's at stake. He's actually hindered many people's lives. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. You want a word from the grave? Here it is. Tomorrow you'll be in the grave with me. Saul hears this word and look what happens in verse 20. Saul fell at once full length on the ground filled with fear because the words of Samuel. I guess this is an appropriate picture for the one who's fallen away from God, the one who has fallen into the hands of the living God. He now falls on his face in fear, finally fearing the right thing. Only it's too late. The very next day, his fears will be realized. What happens next completes the tragedy of this chapter. The woman sees Saul as terrified in verse 21. She offers him a meal. At first he won't eat, but then he finally gives in. Look at verse 22. 
She says, Now therefore you also obey your servant. Verse 23 we read, And he listened to their words. I want you to catch this. The man who has spent his entire life rejecting God's word now in the end listens to the word of the woman, the word of a witch. And then he goes on to eat his last supper. A Passover but not a Passover that will deliver him from death. A black Passover. And after he eats, just like Judas after him, he goes out and it was night. Saul had access to the Word of God his whole life. Even access, direct access to God's prophet. God had spoken to him in many times and in many ways. But because he feared man rather than God, listened to man rather than God, deliberately and repeatedly disobeyed God, in the end he was alienated from God, without God, without hope in the world. Do you feel sorry for Saul? You shouldn't. Although his life was a tragedy, he had dug his own grave. Interestingly, in the end, he will fall on his sword. He will take his own life. But isn't that what he's been doing all along? Friends, remember where we began. This was written for our instruction so that anyone who thinks he stands would take heed lest he fall. So that we would take care lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Saul had access to the word of the Lord from the law and the prophets, but we have a better word. And that is the argument that the author to the Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is making repeatedly. We have a better word. And so these lessons from the Old Testament, how much more do they apply to us? We have the word of the Gospel. That although we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God and deserve God's judgment, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness of our sins and be saved from God's coming judgment. This is the Word of the Gospel. If you believe this, you will be saved. The author of Hebrews goes on to impress upon us the importance of continuing to believe this gospel firm to the end. When Paul is speaking to the Corinthians that they take heed lest they fall, he's saying don't be so presumptuous. You can't live in sin and still think that you are safe. Hebrews 3 says, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 
The message of Hebrews is that we're saved by faith. But true faith will endure to the end. If we hold the confession of our hope without wavering, we know that God will be faithful to fulfill His promises to us. The point is that we can't place our confidence simply in some decision that we made in the past. All the while living in ongoing deliberate sin and unbelief in the present. We can't place our confidence in the word of the gospel once believed, but a word that is now being despised in the way that we live our lives. If we go on sinning deliberately, Hebrews tells us, after receiving the knowledge of truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but the fearful expectation of judgment. His logic is that those who set aside the word of Moses, if they were judged, how much more those who trample underfoot the Son of God and profane the blood of the covenant. And it's in that context that he says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The story of Saul is not meant to make you afraid of judgment. But it is meant to warn you as God's grace to you. To warn you that people do fall away. People that we maybe thought were a part of the faith. We thought were secure in Christ, but who later in their lives proved to not be. They went out from us, John says, because they were not of us. We need to be warned of this reality as a way to keep us in the faith. And we need to be warned that those who fall away from God will fall into the hands of God. Judgment is real. This is a grace to us to keep us in the faith to encourage us to place our faith in Christ and to hold on to that faith firm to the end. Take heed, friends. Take care. Let us pray. Father, how rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. How rich a treasure we possess in Your Word. A Word that is gracious enough to warn us. I pray that You would use these warnings to help us to examine our lives. To help spur us on in faith. We pray for our children that they would not harden their hearts to Your Word, but that You would grant them faith that perseveres to the end. We pray for ourselves the same thing, that the precious treasure of the Gospel would not become so familiar to us that we take it for granted, but that we would continue in the faith. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.